Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The Next Generation, Part 3. Turn to 1 Timothy, Chapter 4, Verse 12. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I think it's really important to keep uh, that kind of thing in front of us. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. Every time I look at it, I get excited because um, you can see what, uh, what we have, what we've stretched for to build, and 70% of it still isn't, uh, is still to be, to be built. And um, the reason why I want to keep it in front of you is has is, is got a lot to do with these um, th- these few messages over this, uh, these few weeks here, we've been talking about the next generation. And I, uh, man, whenever we approach the summer, I'm thinking about young people actually a lot because I'm, I, th- I think it still has to do with um, my, my journey as a youth pastor for so long. I've, I feel like I will probably always be, have been a youth pastor longer than I will have been the lead pastor. It's pretty amazing. Um, it's just was such a, a huge part of my career as a pastor. And so teenagers and young people, investing in teenagers and young people are so important and really important to me. And I also think that I'm getting a little older and I'm thinking about it a little bit more. I, there's something about that that, that, that uh, kind of drives some thinking as well. But uh, recently, I met with our um, the the building contractor that helped us build this facility, and the architectural firm, and uh, Solomon Foundation, and all these entities that helped us get to this point. Because I think we're ready for um, we're ready to slay the, kind of that next dragon a little bit with um, some facility. And so you could see the parking lot, and there's this really big building that's out in front um, on the other side of the bridge. I think we can bite that off, actually. So we're looking at that seriously. Um, I met with the City Planning Commission, the Transportation Commission, and the task force that's assigned to the Valencia Project and widening the road. And I just met with them out there, and they were blue-staking um, utilities, believe it or not. Even though it's going to be a while, it's still in design phase, but they um, they know that they're going to be tearing that road up. That'll be so fun that we uh, we get to experience that for however long it takes. But um, but it's coming and it's coming really quickly. And Lynn and I last night we just, just kind of drove around. We we're looking at some things because we we live in the apartments over here and we're we're hoping to be able to build a home uh, somewhere now. I don't know when. Now that everything is way more expensive to do in terms of building things like a, a two by four costs $800. Um, so I don't know what we're going to do except for maybe be patient and wait. Um, but there's tons of uh, our, our communities exploding. And I know you know that. So all of this is kind of wrapped up in a lot of things over this series of of. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm praying to help us be more aware of the next generation. Now, um, yeah, 
Noah just yelled for the middle schoolers to leave. And I don't know if you've been around here on a Wednesday night with all the middle schoolers. It's pretty crazy how many there are and how many teenagers we have, how many high school students and, and children. So it's, uh, it's making me want to sit up and pay attention. And there's a, I, I, I think that the Lord has pressed on me again and again through one Bible verse in particular recently um, as I've gotten older, that there's something really important for me to find in this Bible verse. It's Psalm 71, 18. Um, I want you to look at it. It says, David says, when, uh, even when I'm old and gray, and I'm definitely getting grayer, he says, oh God, do not abandon me until I tell the next generation about your strength and those coming after me about your power. It's something that was really important to him. He understood and he knew. Um, I, we've kind of lost this a little bit, I think, in our culture, in our cultural practices. I'm thinking about legacy and, and, and things like that. But I think the Lord has really been pressing on me. Like I said, the older I get and the older my children get and as grandchildren and those kinds of things emerge, how important teaching, training, and equipping the next generation really is. You know, this building will be here long after I'm gone. And um, most churches are. Uh, church buildings are around forever. So churches are around for an, an awful long time um, meaning the, the body of Christ, the, the household of faith, people. We're going to be around an awful long time. And, but when you look across our culture and the culture of church, um, we're honestly, we're losing this next generation. Kids um, and teenagers, after they graduate high school, they walk away from the church in droves. The, the actual facts and statistics are, are sad. The facts and statistics about leading our own children inside the church to Jesus are, are kind of sad. And uh, I think it's time that we sit up and pay attention to the next generation. And God's word has a lot to say, has a lot to say. We're going to be in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 today. You can turn there, but as, as I just kind of open this up, this can of worms up just for a few minutes today, I want to draw the truth out of the text, but I want to motivate you a little bit more regarding actually what we have. What we have is pretty rich. We have so many young people in our church, and so I'm taking it really personally. I feel called to proclaim the strength and the might of God and the power of God and the majesty of God and the sovereignty of God to the next generation. I, I, I think that, that the young people in our church are the lifeblood in our church and we've got to protect it, um, equip it, equip it and train it. If we're not careful, we're going to lose the next generation. And I think I would betray my calling as a pastor, the pastor of Vail Christian Church, if I did not give my everything to the next generation. And I want to motivate and inspire you as well. 
Uh, I want to talk about this morality by majority just really quickly, though, first, because in Actually, uh, uh, let me start it like this. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's a pretty awesome story there where you see Saul emerge as king of um, the children of Israel. Now, you know, there, the, this scenario is, is, is kind of crazy. God has in mind, actually, and a plan that he has a king for them. They get impatient and they want a king. All the other nations have a king and they get in their head um, we want a king, we need a king, and the, instead of trusting the Lord, um, they go to Samuel, who is uh, God's voice, God's mouthpiece to, to his people, and they whine and complain and say, look, this guy Saul, he looks like a king, he acts like a king, um, he, uh, we think he should be our king, we want to make him king, and basically God has said, Look, I have a king in mind here, and this is not it. Uh, Saul is not the king that I want. Just like a, a father, they, they, they pester the Lord enough to where the Lord gives them what they want. It's not necessarily his heart, but he gives them what, uh, what they want. And God has a pattern of doing that, actually, um, quite a bit, that just be, so, so, so just to kind of underpin this, just because um, God gives you what you want sometimes, it does not mean that that is his heart and what he wants. But he does this because we're not Pinocchio uh, with strings attached here. He does give us free will to choose. And he wants a relationship with each and every one of us. So this is the scene. So Saul is become king. It is David who God wants to be king. It is David that has, uh, who, who is described as a man after God's own heart. But Saul, see, is who they want. And so in 1 Samuel 15, Saul disobeys God's clear word because he cared too much about what uh, people's opinions were. And, and so he confesses as much to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, 24. He says, then it says, then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned for I have disobeyed what the Lord commanded and what you said as well. For I was afraid of the, uh, of the army and I followed their wishes. So this cannot be an option for the believing church. You know, if you're not careful, we, we, are, we are heavily influenced by the culture that we live in, by this army of people, and even sometimes it, um, ignorance within the church, we're heavily influenced. So Samuel, he could not be more clear about what morality by majority means in his response to Saul. That's exactly what's happening in our culture. Morality by majority and so um, in, his, uh, in Samuel's response to Saul, so it's virtually it's God's response to Saul. In Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 15, 26, he says, you have rejected the word of the Lord. In Samuel's denouncement, you find our only source for sure and right moral reasoning, the word of God, God's word. And with God's word as our lamp and our path, I hope for the sake of this generation, 
and generations to come that we can stop the moral insanity and regain our ethical bearings because it, it, the, the moral insanity is, it, it, it's staggering to me. As I look around, and I know you're shocked as well. I'm, I'm stupefied. I don't even know what to say anymore sometimes. It's so clear what is right and what is wrong, or it used to be uh, for me, right? Even 10 years ago, um, I, 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 uh, the, the, some of the things that we're doing as a nation just blow my mind. I don't know if it's that way for you or not. But we have to stop chasing what's in vogue and recommit to the fundamentals of the faith in God's word and equip this next generation in God's word. But um, I feel like uh, this generation, my generation and, and uh, younger than me, we're, um, we're, we're immature ourselves. And so our hope and our dreams of equipping the next generation, it just scares the death out of me. Because we're losing our children, we're losing generations of, of, of young people are, are, are walking away from church, are walking away from the Lord, are walking away from the things of God. So the point is this, I really believe that this is very, very important and we're called to equip the next generation because they're being pushed by our society. They're being pushed by our culture toward um, epistemic catastrophe. And I also believe that the usual adult expectations for youth are way too low. They're way too low. Uh, I, I, I just intend to kind of light a fire into you today because we have so many young people in our midst and it appears to me, you hear me pray it. I try to, I actually am very intentional with my prayers about acknowledging uh, to the Lord that he seems to be trusting us because we have so many young people in our church. And with so many young people, I believe with all my heart, mind, and soul, and everything that, that, that I'm about as a pastor in particular is that we need to equip and train our young people. The next generation, or we're going to be wandering around in a, in a building, in a facility, uh, because, um, that, that, that will slowly die. Have you seen churches do that, that just slowly die? I don't want to be critical, but I don't know what else to say except for just to tell the truth. I know lots of churches are full of a lot of older folks and very few young people. And, and they and kind of wonder what in the world is happening. What, what do we do? What do we want? We want young people in our church, but can't seem to attract it because we're so stuffed up in our own, wrapped up in our own self that we forgot that we have not equipped and trained the next generation. Paul has serious words to Timothy. This is a, a message to young people and to um, older folks. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. I'm gonna focus on one verse kind of violates some things about me as a pastor too. I rarely just try to teach them. I, I, it's rare for me to just choose one Bible verse and teach that Bible verse without teaching the passage and, and all the context around it. But I'm gonna do it today because um, I can. Because it's not a habit of mine. 
But these are Paul's words to the younger Timothy who needed to be reminded in particular that his expectations for what he could be were too low, which I think that's right where all of our young people are. So I want to start with this verse, and I want to make a few comments about it, and then I want to step back, and I want to try to get the bigger biblical picture. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, I'll bet you know this verse. I bet you've heard this verse. Let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. Just that verse. I just want to make just four observations first. You know that young people can be despised, actually. I don't know if you've thought about this, but teenagers are scary sometimes. And teenagers can bug you. They can make you so mad. They can make me mad. They're frustrating people. Youth, young people are often looked down on because of attitudes and behaviors that are annoying and immature. Some of the things uh, people often associate with youth are disrespect, rebellion, self-absorption, cliquishness, conformity to peer pressure, indifference to serious issues, undisciplined, lazy, having a fixation on fun is the only thing that's satisfied. And, and, and if these things are exaggerated in particular... People can even despise young people because of these things. Paul implies that in saying, let no one look down on you because you are young. Now, the, the, the thing about this is you, you've, you could probably all shake your head. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, who do you think they get that from? That's what I was going to say. Who do you think they get it from? As I look at my... Um, my children, who are not teenagers anymore, um, I can see all my bad qualities, and I can see of all of Linda's good qualities in them. <laughs> I get, it stares me right in the face, actually, pretty often. But youth can be um, despised, and that's the first observation as you look, as you draw the truth out of this text. Here's the second one. Young people should not be indifferent to what adults think, actually. So Paul's telling Timothy to do what he can as a young man to keep that, that being looked down on thing from happening. That's what he's trying to do. Don't be indifferent to what older people think. Care about it. Take steps to win their approval. Let no one look down on you because you're young, right? Here's the third observation I think you can make. Young people should not see adult opinions as the most high, high as, as the highest ranking opinion. The way he tells Timothy to um, overcome being looked down on is not to adjust their attitude, right? He doesn't say, let no one look down on you because you're young, but find out what they want, these older folks, and act that way. That's not what he's trying to say here. Peaceful relationships between older and younger, it's not the highest ranking value. It's important. 
adaptation to older people is not the point. He doesn't, he doesn't absolute, absolutize. That's actually a word. He doesn't do that regarding adult expectations. He does something really different, actually, which brings to this fourth observation. Young people should look to God's standard, actually. Paul says, the way I want young people to pursue not being looked down on is look to God's standard of love and faith and purity. And that way, even young people can become, can become examples to older people, actually. Let no one look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. So the point is not find out what older people want and give it to them so that um, they don't look down on you. That's not what he's trying to teach Timothy. The point is find out what kind of words and conduct God wants and do that. Now, this is really important for all of us, I think, to pick up on. There's some nuance here that we get messed up. See, he gives love and faith and purity as examples of what we should do in our words and our conduct. Let all your words and your actions come from faith in Christ. Let them be loving and keep yourselves sexually pure. But when we are equipping or training or disciplining or trying to influence or parent our children, I think we think a little bit different. I think that we're, we just want them to obey us and do what we want a lot of times. Now, getting uh, kids, getting young people to think like this and to act like this, to live like this may make some adult, uh, adults not, um, not like teenagers, actually. What are you talking about? I'm, maybe you're a teenager in the room right now. I, I, we just sent all our teenagers with Noah. But if you stand up in school, in other words, for the way of sexual abstinence before marriage, there's going to be adults that, that despise you that are like, that's dumb. That's old-fashioned. That doesn't, what are you thinking? But you're going to be right as well as the adults who really matter, right? And God himself isn't going to look down on you. So the main so Paul's main point is that Timothy should not have low expectations of the impact of his life towards those who are older. It's amazing to me if you unleash the potential of young people, what can happen? Young people that look to God, believe in the gospel, do what God calls them to do, and in that way become an example to the rest of us. How many of our young people think that way? I'm called to set an example for adults. How many of our young people think that way? Of course, adults are supposed to set an example for young people, but here, it's the other way around. I don't know if you've ever looked at that verse. It's the other way around what Paul's doing with Timothy. That calls for a dramatic shift in mindset for most adults and young people today, if you thought that way how important that is. Don't adapt to low cultural expectations for young people. Set high ones. Young people can become examples for adults. Think that way, dream that way, or at least rebel against low expectations if you're gonna rebel against something. Let's go look at the larger biblical picture because I wanna spend just a little bit of time here. 
Step back with me. Let's look at the big biblical picture just for a minute. Let's move in order from original sin to a bold life of God-centered, God, gospel-centered obedience beyond all low expectations. Um, we forget this a lot of times, but we are all born in sin. First, let's look at sin. Every child's born with the corruption and the guilt of Adam's sin. We're all born this way. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity or in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That was David's cry after his adultery with Bathsheba, actually. He accepted responsibility, but he traced his corruption all the way back to conception and birth. He, he knew and he acknowledged that my sin has been a part of my life from birth. So it is with every child from Adam. And even after God started over, so to speak, after the flood, he said, God said to Noah that he would not bring another flood like that, but it was not because the heart of man was now cured by the flood. Instead, he said, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's right out of Genesis chapter 8. Nothing had changed in the human heart, not to this day. That's the first thing we need to know about all of our children. They're sinners and they need salvation. We forget this. We, we overlook this so often. Here's the second sort of step in the wider biblical picture. They are in need of the gospel. All of our young people are in need. So young people need to be taught the truth about God and about Christ and about the gospel. God has told us the, the ordinary way that, that, that a child's supposed to be ordinary anyway will come to know and trust Jesus. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's right out of Ephesians 6. We've looked at that verse in the last couple of weeks. The discipline and instruction of the Lord is not simply moral demands followed by rewards and punishment. That's not it. That would not be of the Lord. The Lord is the Lord who died for the child's sin, for our children's sin, and rose again and pours out his spirit to help us. So the grace of God in the gospel becomes the rule and the power by which children live. When they understand they're born into sin and then they need the gospel. And they understand the gospel. So many people don't know the gospel, don't know what it is, don't understand this great news, this good news, can't even describe it. We have to do, we have to equip ourselves to understand and know the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And our children have to understand and know the need for the gospel, which leads to rebirth in Jesus. This truth and grace of the gospel is how we come to faith in Jesus as Savior. This is how we're reborn. You, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth, Psalm 71.5 says. The psalmist says that, that God has been his trust, his confidence from his youth. I think we got to go after kids at a really young age. God gave him new life and he saw Christ as true and valuable. He saw Christ as his treasure the psalmist, that's the way he's writing that song and how important it is that our Sunday school classes and everything that we do with children and teenagers is saturated by the gospel. So after the reality and the understanding of original sin 
and then teaching the truth of the gospel, and then faith, there comes now the forgiveness of sin. People misunderstand. We leave this out all the time. It's part of the first principles of the faith, forgiveness through faith in the gospel. Original sin and our sinful choices that follow it are forgiven through this faith that God awakens through the knowledge of the gospel. And so David embraces this truth in Psalm 25, 7. He says, do not hold against me the sins of my youth or my rebellious acts because you, O Lord, are faithful to me. Extend to me your favor, O Lord. So this is unbelievable news that people of every age need. Peter says in Acts 10, 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. I think we fail to teach our children about forgiveness that when Jesus died on the cross, he went to the cross to provide forgiveness and freedom. Forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. When's the last time you thought about that? That, that this death on the cross covered all of our sin when you believe, past, present, and future. If it doesn't cover all sin, it doesn't cover any sin. Forgiveness of sin through faith in the gospel. And then, and then, probably the only way you can bring children to biblical maturity is after. We teach them about sin, teach them the gospel, faith, forgiveness, it becomes plain that in the Bible, young people from the time they come to faith are being treated by God in a way that, they can, uh, that, that can lead them to remarkable maturity and usefulness earlier than most of us think. If I had it my way, it'd just be the youth band up here every Sunday. It'd be, uh, you know, we, 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 my goodness, we try awfully hard. Our teenagers are the, our primary frontline people with all of our technology, as it should be. I've seen some of you type with one finger, you know, as it should be. Somehow, they can use all the platforms with our technology. It's not rocket science, actually, to them, it is to us. Reagan's running our um, all of my notes and everything that's going back here. She's in high school. And Victoria's running all the technology and our live stream stuff and all that kind of stuff. These are young people that are brilliant. And sometimes I don't think that we give them the platform and the opportunity that we should. David's, David prays like this for his children and our children. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. What does he mean? He, may our sons already be, uh, already in their youth be like plants full what, what in the world? He's praying that the strength and the fruitfulness of the more mature plant will already show itself in his sons even while they're young. And the expectations for such fruitfulness is low. Should that not be our prayer all the more, Right? May our sons and our daughters in their youth be like plants full grown. And the entire book of Proverbs is is designed to help this early fruitfulness happen. The book begins like this in Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He says, give give prudence to the simple knowledge and, and, and discretion to youth. 
in Proverbs chapter 1. The Bible doesn't believe that wisdom is only for the aged. Wisdom comes from God's word mainly and from life experience secondary. So we should work and pray to help our children have wisdom and discretion. I mean, that's why I want to have a lot of interns, young people that think they want to be in ministry, that come alongside, walk in my shoes for a summer. Let's see what happens. And if we can discourage you from getting into it, fine, so be it. If we can motivate you, you know, that's what our job is. That's what our role is. But we set such low expectations for young people. I'm so tired of it. What about not settling for low expectations? Because when you go through this journey, this wide biblical view then, this brings us to the practical conclusion for young people. Don't let the culture set the low expectations for what you may accomplish for Jesus. Listen to the way God and Jeremiah argue actually about Jeremiah's call when he's a young man. Listen to this, Jeremiah chapter one, verses six and seven. It says, then I said, I answered, oh Lord God, I really do not know how to speak well enough for that, for I'm too young. He says that straight up to God. And then in verse seven, it says, the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young, but go to whomever I send you and say whatever I tell you. I love the way God does not put up with that. I don't want to hear you're too young, basically, God says. I have some things I want you to do, so get after it and do it. Be careful, young people, if you're a young person today, that you don't postpone the burden and the blessing of fruitfulness in your life because you use the excuse, I'm too young. God said to Jeremiah, don't say I'm too young. Sometimes we don't give our young people enough of a chance. There's some younger than you that, there's younger than our teenagers a lot of times. Elizabeth has a whole slew of helpers that are young, young people in Sunday school. It does not, mean that you abdicate your role as an older person. I think we need the wisdom and the experience and saltiness, so to speak, of older folks in those classrooms as well. I'm tired of uh, our young people. The only thing I feel like some of them think they're good for is watching videos and playing games right? As though there's no ministry for them to do. I think we got to give them ministry to do. Well, what does this have to do with, with, with us, the rest of us, not just young people? What does this have to do with us? I don't want my children to just be rule keepers. I don't know about you. You shouldn't just want your children to be rule keepers. We raise sometimes rule keepers, We don't want to hear our children say when they are 30 what the rich young ruler said to Jesus after Jesus listed the commandments. You remember that story? Teacher, all these commandments I've kept from my youth. The rich young ruler. Here's the great commandment keeper. Sounds awesome. 
Here's the compliant kid who did what he was told. He kept the commandments, but when Jesus put him to the test and he, and, and he, he said he lacked one thing, sell what you have, give it to the poor and follow me. That's right out of Mark chapter 10. That's what Jesus says straight up to him. What happened? He couldn't do it. How come? Because he was just a rule keeper, a really good one. He had no heart for Christ. Rule keeping, yes. Valuing Jesus as his highest treasure, no. He was dead. He had no affection for Christ. He was simply a good rule keeper. And he said that it went all the way back to his youth. Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. You know, um, Lynn and I were pretty good with discipline in our home, making your bed kind of stuff, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm big on that. I actually am. I really am. Get your homework done. Follow through with your commitments, all these kinds of things, keeping the rules. But I'll tell you what, it's got to extend way beyond that. We have to teach our children to love Jesus with all their heart, mind, and soul. That's the big thing here. What's this have to do with us? Number two, the shaping and sustaining power of the gospel is the key to success, successfully equipping the next generation. It's got to be about the gospel, this good news. God loved us. He cared about us so much. He gave us his son, Jesus. Why? He wants relationship with you and I. But sin separates us from God. Sin can't be in his presence. He had to solve that issue. That's why he gave us the perfect sacrificial lamb, his son Jesus, to die and take on all that sin. But it takes belief. It's got to go from just theoretical belief in Jesus, theory, to actual relationship with Jesus. Actions, right? Number three, life in Christ begins with the gospel that empowers, shapes, and sustains us. How many ways can I say that? It's about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Number four, pray, love, and teach our young people until Christ breaks in on their hearts and becomes their most valuable treasure. Not just keeping the rules. They gotta love Jesus with all heart, mind, and soul. We can't lose our teenagers and our young people. Pray that God gives us vision for the next generation. That's on me and you. That's how we gotta pray. That glorifies the gospel of Christ, leads young people to the cross where they find forgiveness of sin, humility, and courage to rebel against the low expectations. You realize, I don't know if you do, but I'm here to tell you I'm not wrong that the greatest mission field on the planet is the middle school and high school campus. It is. It's such a scary place that we pull our kids out of there a lot of times in homeschooling because we're, it's such an unbelievable place that is void of the gospel and Christ and anything that has anything to do with God. Last, pray for our young people to set an example inside the church and outside in their speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. So, I love Noah. 
He's such a good guy. He's such the right kind of guy. He's got all the tools to inspire and motivate teenagers. He's all about it. I love Elizabeth. She's all about our children. Here's somebody who gets it. We've got really great interns and people that are going to be focusing on our young people a lot this summer. What's your and my role? I think that we got to find a way to get better and better at equipping and training our, uh, the next generation. We're going to lose them. We're going to lose them. You, you know, you, you're, you're unbelievably smart people. That we, we, j- you're paying attention to what's happening. We can talk about it, how they just walk, they walk away from church in droves. And yet we whine and complain about how loud the music is. And I'm telling you, you're focused on the wrong thing if that's your issue. We're losing our teenagers to everything and anything but church and the things of God. And I think we've got to roll up our sleeves and get after it. And I played that video in front, that bumper video, that to keep us looking out, out front in terms of our facility and things. I, 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 the more consistent we are with giving, I, I've already motivated you enough maybe to, to help you understand that we shouldn't be frittering away all that we have saved and set aside over this next month during the summer. It happens every year. We go on vacation and I feel like it's gonna just be crazy this year. We've had a surge in attendance. We are bigger now than we were pre-pandemic. What is that? I would have never dreamed that. Our giving has been really, really good. We are ahead of budget to the tune of $145,000. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing. But here's the thing. That should be actually super normal. <laughs> It should be, we should always be ahead and we're saving uh, like crazy, but I, I, I've watched it and I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty or shame anybody. I'm not here to do that. I'm just, I'm begging you on behalf of the next generation. Let's not fritter it away over this next month because we can do it. Our giving just kind of falls off. It's so dumb. I don't understand it. We just take a break during the summer and do all kinds of things. I don't want to do that. Let's not do that. I'm putting it away, we're putting it away, we're, we're protecting it, we're guarding it, we're trying to put everything we can with it. And in the fall, I wanna come back and say, listen, let's surge and let's do something here. Let's build an, an, an additional building so our teenagers have, have more place to kind of spread their wings and go for it and turn Noah even more loose. Maybe hire some other people. I think we should do it, so I, I, I'm here to just motivate you to think through the next generation as you're about to think through the summer and go on vacation. Do it. Get out of here. Have a great time. Just make sure that your giving is on the automatic thing. Just don't forsake what we do around here. And let's come back in the fall and roll up our sleeves and get after it because this summer is crazy. There's a waiting list for everything that we do with teenagers and young people. A total waiting list, right? We're going to have an awesome summer. Will you bow your head with me? Thank you, Lord, for, again, trusting us with such incredible, rich resources in teenagers and young people. Help us to equip and train, to not look down, to motivate and lift up, to empower, 
to set free, to give responsibility to young people. But let's help us be careful, Lord, in our equipping and training to, to focus on the first principles of the faith so that they, they understand sin and forgiveness and rebirth and how to become biblically mature. Christ followers that have sworn allegiance to the king. Start with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic uh, rest of your day. I hope I get to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.